Lowell, and welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. Join us every other week to discuss ecology, odor dynamics, dog behavior, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I run Canine Conservationists, where I train dogs to detect data. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of talking to Stacey Barnett about sourcing, which is having your dog find the precise location of the highest concentration of odor. You guys are really going to enjoy this interview, so let's get to it. Stacey Barnett is a top nosework competitor and trainer, being one of only a handful of teams with multiple summit-level titles in the National Association of Canine Scent Work. So that's an SMT, and she's gotten three of them with her dog, Judd. Stacey has been a faculty member at Fenzy Dog Sports Academy since 2015 and is an international clinician for seminars around the world. She's a licensed judge for AKC Scent Work, where she also retained in an advisory position for the AKC Scent Work program for two years. Stacy is the author of the popular blog Sensibilities Nosework and hosts weekly educational webinars, and I can attest to her Sensibilities Nosework blog just being awesome. With her degree in chemical engineering and her understanding of fluid flow dynamics, Stacy has a deep understanding of odor movement, and she believes in utilizing scent theory and odor to educate and craft the highly competitive nosework dog, as well as building, bringing enrichment to dogs using nosework as an activity to build confidence. She prides herself in being able to create... Uh, to bring creative solutions to build odor obedience, confidence, drive, and motivation for the sport. And her mantra is confidence, motivation, skills, and stamina. I am super excited to start this interview, but just before we get going with Stacy, I have to remind everyone that our field vehicle repair fundraiser is ongoing. As I record, our van is in for exploratory surgery, and we're keeping our paws crossed for good news. In the meantime, any support you can give to our fundraiser is appreciated, even if all you can do is share the link. You can find that link over on our show notes, um, which are published on canineconservationists.org. So, Whew. Welcome to the podcast, Stacey. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm excited too. I'm really excited that you reached out, and uh, this 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 just uh, this is fun. This is fun. I'm I'm I'm, I'm stoked. I'm stoked. So. Great. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much always stoked whenever I get to record a podcast, but I'm especially excited to talk to you because I've been, I've got like an email alert set up for your blog whenever you publish new things. And I've been just loving everything you've been publishing about sourcing lately. Oh, fantastic. Um, I love sourcing. It's one of my favorite topics. Yeah. So why don't we kind of start out with um, like your definition of sourcing and what we mean by that? Just, you know, because we have some listeners who are really into nose work and scent work, some who are do- conservation dog handlers, and then some who may just be ecologists or kind of dog enthusiasts so to make sure that they're they're able to keep up yeah so I think part of uh, part of what can help uh, talking about what sourcing is is also to talk about what sourcing isn't because I think sometimes mm-hmm. people when they start thinking sourcing they start thinking pinpointing they're thinking their dog puts the nose on the hide right and mm-hmm. honestly that's a piece of it but it's such a mm-hmm. minor piece of it right? Because I think for me, the, uh, you know, what I consider sourcing is really is the whole drive to source, right? It's the whole dog mm-hmm. ability to intersect that scent cone, you know, or that plume of odor and really kind of push into that and, and to work the odor and ultimately get to the hide and get to source as close as possible. And for me, that mm-hmm. is sourcing. It, it's, it's less the, you know, uh, you know, trying to put your nose specifically on the hide, which I think some people overemphasize um, mm-hmm. and, and, and which can cause other kinds of problems. So, you know, I really try to emphasize the drive in and the pinpointing is just kind of a piece of that. If that makes yeah, sense. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So as kind of let's let's draw things out a little bit as far as like the 
the components of a search, you know, s- sourcing is part of that. But if, you know, let's say we're, we've just gotten out of the truck and whether we're at a trial or about to go and find some bat carcasses or whatever it is, yep. um, what are our components of what our dog is actually doing from, you know, truck to alert? Yeah. And, and if we really kind of think about that, there's a big, huge portion of that that includes the dog not being in odor. Right. And, and I think yeah. that that's actually a, a huge component, especially when you start thinking, you know, your conservation dogs, for instance, they're going to spend way more time out of odor than they're going to be spending in odor. And, Absolutely. and I, I think that's a huge portion of that. Right. Um, and for for the competition dog, you're going to find um, at the higher levels, uh, the dogs tend to spend more time out of odor. Um, then at the at the lower levels, at the lower levels, because the, the scent cones that, that we work with um, and with the competition dogs are actually quite large. I mean, we're working with essential mm-hmm. oils. I mean, they're, they're, the, the scent cones get huge, right? I mean, they're meant yeah. to be smelled, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, although, yeah. although you're talking about a bat carcass, I'm assuming that that's probably pretty, uh, pretty pungent. They're pretty pungent. And we, yeah, one of the other interesting things we run to is with plants where those plants may be in the environment for months or years. So those scent cones are really huge and dispersed and, and not really, not always really intense. And they're always like, it just gets super fascinating with environmental conditions as far as amount of rain you've had and all sorts of cool stuff. Oh my gosh. It's so fun. Yeah. But no, I I think, you know, the, the, there's a a, a big portion of that where the dog is really not in odor. So there's, you know, the dog has to kind of understand how to hunt with, without actually being Mm -hmm. in the presence of target odor, which I think can be really challenging um, for some dogs uh, because it's not that the Mm -hmm. cue is, is not necessarily, you know, the presence of target odor to start searching. Um, And then, you know, the dog's got to seek out and then it's the, the, you know, they, they encounter the target odor and then it's the driving to source and then it's actually the getting to source. I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think there's kind of those kind of pieces of that. Um, and then of course you have the alert at the, at the tail end. So, yeah. Yeah. So we've got, you know, all the, the period of time, which could vary quite a bit where we're, the dog is actually searching for the odor. And then what we're really talking about today is that period of time where they've found the odor, but they have not yet decided to alert. And then, you know, we're talking about how to work through that and then also how to help make sure that they have decided to alert at, you know, kind of the optimal location, Yeah, Um, which always gets interesting too, because I think listeners may notice that we've already, we've already hinted at it a little bit. The dog sourcing is going to the highest concentration of odor, not necessarily the target um, or the hide. So that can be, um, you know, interesting and confusing again, kind of circling back to plants when we're searching yeah. plants, a lot of times what I'll notice is my dog casting up a lot and seeming to catch odor in a periphery around a plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times they really struggle to actually pinpoint into the location of that individual plant. Um, yeah. because in all likelihood, that's just not where the highest concentration of odor is. So that's where it's nice to have a biologist on the other end of the leash to actually come in and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and figure out what you're trying to find. Yeah, yeah, that that can definitely happen. And, you know, and also when you're you're talking about your, um, the scenting conditions, right, and and the climate Mm -hmm. that you're working in. Um, I mean, you're you're out in Montana, it's a little bit, it's drier, right? Yeah, yeah, generally. Yeah, yeah. Well, compared to like the Northeast where where I am right Mm -hmm. now, um, you know, we we have a lot of humidity. So, you know, you're going to see your your, um, 
your your odor molecules are going to act a little bit differently in the the drier climate versus mm-hmm. the, the the more humid climate and everything. Um, you know, and then you have you know the amount of the altitude and the sun and all that kind of stuff. Starts, yeah, starts yeah, definitely. Well. So, um, yeah, you know, and I I also t- try to pay attention to my dogs in terms of. Um, when they're, when they're actually sourcing before that, that alert kind of happens, um, there's, there's kind of a moment in time where the dog kind of has like this aha, right. Mm-hmm. Where the dog kind of gets to it and they go, wow, aha, right. Right. You know, I kind of, <laughs> yeah. and, um, I, I think that's kind of like a big part of it as well. Uh, you know, when I start to yeah. dissect those pieces, but yeah, they, they are kind of going, you know, they are, we are trying to get them to the highest concentration of odor. Um, and sometimes that, that concentration of odor isn't necessarily real close to source. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, from a competition perspective, if it's in pooling odor, we're, you know, that, that we're trying to get them away from the pooling odor and trying to get them more towards source anyway. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 exactly. And that's where, yeah. you know, I know I, I just finished up taking a, an odor dynamics course through FDSA, um, which I'll link oh, to in the show sure. notes. Um, yeah, and just, you know, really thinking about as the temperature changes throughout the day, whether the odor and airflow yeah. is likely to be going uphill or downhill yes. and all of these sorts of things. So really thinking through if your dog is showing a lot of change of behavior somewhere or even alerting somewhere yeah. and you're not finding it you know, thinking through whether the dog is actually just tired and incorrect yeah, or, or if there is like pooling odor somewhere, which is, you know, that's the sort of thing that I know personally as a handler, I still really struggle with. It's, um, it's tough. And usually if, if I'm encountering pooling odor, there's a couple different things that I do. And, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, first of all, I have to be able to read from my dog, you know, read my dog and say, you know, is this, is source here or is this really pooling odor? And I find that when she's working pulling odor, she gets uh, the the direction that she's getting pulled in is is pretty random, um, but localized, but <laughs> random. Like it's it's not being pulled into kind of one localized position. Um, and then what mm-hmm. I try to do then is kind of really, uh, you know, we want to enlarge the area because at that point, you know, the pooling is happening. Source is not there, you know, source is elsewhere. So you have to start to figure out how to enlarge that area that you're searching to make that just a little bit bigger. And when you start to do that, you have to kind of then take another assessment and say, well, what is airflow doing? Because you want to enlarge it in the, in the direction of where the airflow is coming from. Right. So, you know, from, from my perspective, I might be searching indoors, for instance. And if I'm doing that, mm-hmm. you know, I might be getting lofting. It might be going over the ceiling, right? It could be coming from a thermal that goes, hits the ceiling, goes across the, ce- goes across the ceiling and dumps elsewhere. So I'm going to be thinking about the airflow in that situation, enlarge the area and try to search out the, the origin of that odor. And I think if you're working outdoors, it's the same type of thing, right? So mm-hmm. if you're getting caught into some pooling odor, maybe there's, you know, some higher relative humidity because of some vegetation or something, and you're trying to uh, just kind of enlarge that area um, and, and try to figure out where that, where that odor is coming from. Um, if you can kind of think about the direction of the airflow, that can be a great direction to kind of enlarge the area and, and to try to find mm-hmm. in that direction. So that's kind of what I do when I encounter that. Um, but it mm-hmm. is definitely a challenge. And I, and I think from, for a lot of, you know, I try to get my dogs to kind of do some of that problem solving for me in training. Um, but sometimes it takes the handler at the end of the other end of the leash to try to encourage that. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely, which I, we're planning on circling back to. And I'm really glad you mentioned kind of what, what your dog looks like as they may be encountering more of this pooling odor where we are seeing a change in behavior, but it looks a little bit different from when yeah. they're actually successfully pinpointing. Yeah. Um, and I know I've noticed the same thing. Barley will do a lot of kind of bracketing, so moving back and forth and crabbing and like, you know, yep. he's he's really like kind of tap dancing around and circling and like he's he's a border collie, so when he gets excited, he starts going down. You know, we start seeing those elbow bends okay. um a okay. lot. But I know I've noticed with him, um, I've been really trying to watch all of our searches back again in slow-mo. And when he when he's actually got an alert that he feels really confident in, which usually means that it's correct and not pooling odor. Uh, and I don't even know if I want to say correct, but um, mm -hmm. people know what I mean. You know, yeah. we'll, 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 we'll be colloquial here. Um, his tail will stop wagging the second yeah. before he alerts. Like it gets faster, 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 and then stops. Yeah. Um, and then he goes down. So what... You know, and I, this can vary so much from individual dog to individual dog and within breeds, but what are some of the other things that we've really noticed um, or you've really noticed with body language as a dog is working, um, ch maybe changing from that, like not finding anything to sourcing and then as they're moving down that um, odor gradient towards an alert? Yeah, and I, I think you actually kind of hit the nail on the head there because you started talking about the emotional shift. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I think it, it's important to recognize these dogs, they get excited when they know they're correct. Right. <laughs> they, they get excited. They're mm -hmm. like, ha, I'm on it. I'm on it. Right. And um, I mean, they're, they're, they're just, they, they understand the game and, and to mm -hmm. them, it's a puzzle to figure out. Right. So they, it's kind of like if, if you, if you're, you're given, um, I don't know, you remember the Rubik's cube, Remember those <laughs> yeah, I do. Right. So now yeah. I never actually, I don't think I ever actually, like, <laughs> no, really I didn't. solved it. Right. I used to be no. stickers, right. And move them around because I used to get really oh. frustrated. So <laughs> I cheated. Uh, so I cheated on the Rubik's cube. I, 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 I admit it. Uh, but you know, let's say you're, you're, you're really close to solving that problem. You're going to feel this emotional shift. You were like, I almost yeah. have it. I almost have it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we see in our dogs. And we start to see kind of that emotional shift where as they start to get closer, they start to get excited. Um, I was just uh, working my puppy. So I, ha I have an eight month old uh, mm -hmm. field lab, uh, work working line, uh, field lab, uh, detection bread field lab. And she's a, she's a really awesome little puppy. So I'm searching with her and you can see her when she's not, when she's kind of working and she's not really, you know, close to source or she's kind of getting some odor, that tail is very, really soft, right? And it's kind of going back mm -hmm. and forth and it's swinging. As she starts to get closer to source, you start to see her, she gets like really into it and that tail starts going. <laughs> yeah. And and what you're really seeing is that emotional shift, right? You're really seeing that dog going, I am almost there, right? Yeah. And when they get there, it's like that aha. They're like, aha, I found it, right? And then you get the alert. So yeah. for me, when I'm really trying to train that, I want to see that emotional shift and I want to see that aha. Because at that point, that's when I mark the dog. Uh, prior to the alert in a lot of cases in training, because I want to say, yeah, you found it, right? You're amazing. And then I mark the dog and then I feed the dog or, or reward the dog with the toy or whatever the dog is, is, you know, is, is trained mm -hmm. to do. Um, I do a lot of food rewards uh, just for a lot of other reasons in, in competition training, just because of speed and everything. Uh, but yeah, yeah definitely. like toy rewards or whatever. 
Um, and then I kind of think about building in if I'm going to be building in a, a final response, but I want the dog to really understand that the purpose is getting to the hide or to the source of, of odor versus just giving the alert. Right. Cause I think you're also mm-hmm. find out with a lot of dogs that may have some sourcing issues. Um, they, there's so much emphasis sometimes on the final response without, also having that emphasis on the, uh, the the sourcing of the hide, that when they get frustrated, they start to throw the throw their final response. So I, you know, I really try to in training try to really focus on that aha moment, right, and really mm-hmm. try to reward that, and then you can start to build in that final response after after you've reinforced that aha moment. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly what I had to do last fall, actually. And that was how I started really diving into your blog was I was running and I was running into that exact problem with Barley where he was, especially on long searches, was just kind of starting to, it looked like sometimes he was actually catching a little bit of odor, but he was just kind of alerting at times where he hadn't properly sourced. And we went back to really de-emphasizing the alert and marking and rewarding it's sourcing instead. It always does, right? Yeah. I mean, if you've trained it. Yeah, no, he's beautiful now. Um, it took, a, I want to say a couple months of work, but like, if I'm being honest about how many training sessions it was, it didn't take that many. It's just right. that, right. you know, right. well, you only do so many training sessions a week. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and when people are, you know, when they're they're running into sourcing issues, I usually say, you know, get in there and, and mark when the dog is, when they know they're at the hide, because, and their people get so worried about their final response. I'm like, oh, it'll come back. It'll come back. Because then yeah. after you reinforce that, then you can say, okay, now that you have this beautiful final response that you've already trained, right? Now you can add that in and you have all those pieces together. I think as trainers, we get so worried that if we start backing up a couple steps, mm-hmm. right? We start rewarding before the final response. We start worrying that the dog's not going to give it to us, Um yeah. And I, I think, well, I think and I think as I've gotten more experienced with handling um, detection dogs and search dogs, I've gotten so much more confident at reading that body language and I'm so much less obsessed with my alert now. Yes. Versus when I first started, I didn't know how to read my dog. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the bracketing or, um, you know, those head swings or any of those sorts of things, I was missing them. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was so much less obvious to me, um, as far as what was happening. And now I, I don't think I want to, but I think I could handle a dog without an alert pretty successfully at this point, because I can really read the body language. Exactly. And, uh, it's really kind of interesting and, and, you know, just kind of a, a parallel to the competition mm-hmm. handler, right? Cause you're, when you first start in the sport, you're like, Oh, I, I need the, the, the paw. I see a lot of people want the paw, right. Or, or I need the mm-hmm. look back or I need the, you know, the, 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 they want their final response or I want my dog to sit or down. Um, we, we have a lot of people that when they start, they like the paw cause it's very, you know, I'm, it's um, cute. yeah, it's very cute. <laughs> like, whoop, whoop, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and we see people really focus on that final response because they can't read everything else. And then, yeah. then you start to focus, you start to see so much more. Um, my, uh, my dog that I, you know, Judd that we mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. I, I lost him about a year and a half ago to cancer and, but he never really had like a, like a really specific final response. And he just really kind of made me learn how to read him. And it, it was just kind of actually a really great way of um, trying to, trying to understand the dog. But yeah, we, we go through that same thing in, in competition. Um, 
you know, so it's, it's, it's interesting. So everybody goes through the same growth, you know, as yeah, a yeah, it is. Yeah. It is funny. So, you know, one of the things that you had hinted at earlier was, you know, talking about the handler side of things. So what are some of the things that like common mistakes that handlers might make that impede our dog sourcing mobility? And then the flip side of that, or what if, how can we help handle our dogs in a way that doesn't create more problems as we're working on sourcing ability? Yeah, I, I think there's like <laughs> one major thing, right? One major thing. And that is independence and allowing your dog mm -hmm. to work independently. I think we get so wrapped up into wanting to help our dogs. And, mm -hmm. um, and we start to, you start to see handlers, uh, they, they start to get edgy, right? They see, see their, their dogs start to get kind of, kind of excited. Like they think they're near the source and you start to see handlers start to move in on the dog and the hand starts going toward whatever kind of reward they're mm -hmm. looking for. And the dog goes, Oh, Oh, am I at it? Right. And then they throw the final response then. And what you could find out is that that can actually force a final response away from source or even when the dog's not even in odor, depending on, on how good they, mm -hmm. the, the handlers are reading their, their dog. Um, maybe the dog. Yeah. Yeah. That dog's just interested in like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, so, yeah, so, something, something walked over here, you know, like in your case, like, Ooh, there, I think there was a bobcat or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, All the time. Exactly. You, you could, uh, you could start moving in and the dog's going to be like, Oh, Oh, do you want me to alert here? No problem. Mm -hmm. I'll do that for you. Um, and they, so that the dog is so good at reading our body language. Right. And, mm -hmm. and when we start giving them those cues, uh, we have to be really careful, you know, so having the dog be able to work independently is, is so important. So important. I, I mm -hmm. would expect, especially for you guys, I mean, you're probably ranging out like huge, huge, uh, swaths yeah. of, uh, of territory there. So, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm often letting my dog work several hundred meters away from me. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, and I know I've done a lot of, you know, when I'm working on smaller areas, I'll just practice sitting myself down in a chair. Yeah. Um, yeah. and like, cause otherwise I, I can't like, you know, so many of us, we all struggle <laughs> to, to really actually stay put otherwise. So I will like, I will station yeah. myself in a chair. Um, and then last winter when I was this last winter, when I was really working on a lot of sourcing stuff, I was doing a lot of just like, turning my back on my dog and walking yeah. a random direction or like doing jumping jacks or, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. That's you know, picking idea. up a stick and putting it back down and just like, exactly. yeah, I do weird stuff. I pull my phone out of my treat pouch, not my treats sometimes, you there know, you just go. like that's a good idea. Actually, that's a super, I might, I might borrow that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it helps that I'm always pulling my phone out to take videos for, for Instagram, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but, um, exactly. but yeah, just really trying to like solidify the fact that like, no, I don't know anything. My behavior is irrelevant. Like you do you, um, I, I also I'm right there, you know, like I'm keeping up with you, but yeah, exactly. And I try to think about it also in terms of body pressure because, mm -hmm. um, our dogs respond to body pressure and we're going to yeah. find that when we start to move in on the dog, we're increasing that body pressure. And for some dogs, um, increasing body pressure can instigate an alert behavior, right? Yeah. Or in other dogs, increasing body pressure pushes them right off of the odor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we really have to kind of know our dogs there. Um, so I usually, when my dog is really starting to work odor, I try to decrease the pressure on the dog by just kind of easing back now granted when i'm mm -hmm. working I'm, I'm a lot closer to my dog um mm -hmm. than, than uh than what you're you know what you're talking about um although i will do drills where my dog is working out at a, at a distance because i want my dog mm -hmm. to be comfortable ranging out 
Um, yeah. But I do find that when my dog's actually working um, and, and starting to, to hone in on source, um, easing the body pressure can give the dog the uh, permission to say, I was, I'm sorry, I wasn't really correct here. And mm-hmm. maybe this isn't where source is. And maybe I yeah. need to look elsewhere. Yeah, like, so, hang on, hang on, not yet. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's like, nah, that's not really it. I thought yeah. it could be here, but it's really not. So by easing back the body pressure, you're giving your dog the permission to what I call the mm-hmm. sniff and dismiss, right? They kind of go in, they sniff it, they're like, nah, it's not it. And then they dismiss it and then yeah. move on. And, uh-huh. uh, and that's that easing that the body, body pressure really kind of helps that, you know. Yeah, and I know that's something, um, you know, with working border collies and you know you work with you've got a mini aussie and just how sensitive they can be and um yeah like i i think it's one of the things that can be tricky for more of these herding breeds with novice handlers um is just how sensitive to you know i I, like if you think about comparing what border collies are so traditionally excellent at which is you know agility and herding where you know they're paying attention to whether you've raised your hand a couple inches and then you try to start undoing all of that <laughs> in scent work. Um, you know, as we were saying before we got on, I think my next working dog is probably going to end up being a lab. I love, love, love my border collies, but, yeah. um, you know, you really have to find an unusually independent border collie, um, yes. or yeah. be a, a ve- very cognizant of your body language in a way that um, I absolutely, you have to be with all dogs. Um, yeah, but sometimes I wonder if it would be a little easier with, with a lab. Yeah. If you think about <laughs> Just it, that like specific that. aspect. Like the, the herding dogs, right? Because it's not only the handler, like they're, they're bred to list, be able to listen to the handler, but also the stock. Like they, they can, mm-hmm. they're staring down the stock and they can see a twitch of a muscle and they'll react to mm-hmm. it. You know, so they have that breeding where if you look at like a Labrador, um, they tend to be a little bit more tolerant to the mm-hmm. body pressure and, and kind of like, you know, r- rude human behavior, right? And just kind of getting in there. Yeah. They're just very tolerant of that. Um, and they're more focused. I think I personally think they're more focused more on scent, um, mm-hmm. versus just kind of feeling that body pressure. Um, and so I, I think there's personally, I think they're super, um, is a super option for a working dog. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a little, uh, biased, uh, having, I currently have three of them. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's chaos in the house, which I can't believe it's kind of quiet right now. So sh- they just yeah. kept got yeah, that yeah. working. I, I worked them this morning, so they're, they're kind of yeah. right now. So, um, uh, but yeah, three young field labs, it's, it's usually pretty chaotic in the house. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, one of the things I loved about the, uh, the job that I had with the organization I used to work for is I got to handle a Malinois. I got to handle, well, a couple of Malinois a couple labs, um, a Springer, a couple yeah. kind of muddy mutts as well uh-huh. as the border collies and really kind of helps you get a feel for it because it does, it is so different it is. Um, from it breed is. to breed, even though, you know, you're all doing the same job. Um, and individual to individual. And then, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, actually the two Malinois I've handled have been on very opposite ends of the spectrum as far as oh, yeah. uh, kind of oh, what yeah. that breed is like. They both have very similar play styles yep. when you're actually rewarding them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <But>. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, lots of <laughs> punching you with the toy. <laughs> lots of teeth, lots of teeth. Um, yeah, so many teeth. <laughs> yeah, so many teeth. And you know, and the, the dogs I work, um, they're they're bred for uh, tug drive and all of that. So mm-hmm. you get a lot of, um, but they're also very physical dogs. So mm-hmm. you know, when they're they got that tug, man, they're they're in on it. Um, 
Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just very different, very different, but even, even the individuals, you know, I've got three that are very closely related and they're so different in the way they search. Mm -hmm. Um, their drive levels are all high. They're just very, very different. It's it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that is really fascinating. I mean, it makes sense even thinking about I know so the the under the school I went to for undergrad had a very specific learning style called the block plan where you take one class at a time for three and a half yep. weeks and then you have a four and a half day weekend and then you start again. Oh wow. Um and so it works really well for someone like me who I'm kind of a quick start. I like getting stuff done quickly. I'm terrible yep. at proofreading. <laughs> uh, my attention to detail is really not my forte. Yeah. Um, but I'm really good at just kind of getting stuff done. Yeah. Um, versus my sister, who, you know, obviously we were raised in the exact same household. We're full siblings. Yeah. Um, she didn't even consider going to the school with the block plan because uh, she is someone who like, she color codes all of her notes and oh. rewrites them four times. <laughs> oh, and like, wow. that is how she learns and her yeah. grades are better than mine, but she also takes four times as long as I do to do right. everything. And, and right. it, you know, it's just, it's not surprising that we see these differences between, yeah. um, you know, dogs, yep. even within closely related lines. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, two of my girls are half sisters. They have the same, uh, the same mother. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then I have another one that's kind of cousins to, to both of them. And they're just, they're so, so different. Um, even like, uh, you know, like the, their whole thought processes, everything, mm -hmm. how they search is just, it's really fascinating. That's so cool. Really so is. yeah, what else do we have kind of in mind as far as, so we've got like body pressure being a big thing yep. when we're thinking about sourcing. Is there anything else that, um, you know, common mistakes or, or easy things that we can do on the handler end of things? And we'll get into like exercises yeah, in a minute. Yeah. I think um, honestly that one of the big issues is what I call human precision, right? Oh, okay. It is the, well, the, it, and I, you always hear the phrase, well, the dog should be able to, right? And it's always the should be able to, right? Mm -hmm. um, or, in, and I, I do, I like to call that human precision because we start thinking of things in terms of our brain and like, well, the high, you know, this is the, the problem with working known hides, right? Um, mm. you know, blind hides are great to work when you can, although there is a place for known hides uh, when, when you train, but it's the, you know, the, the the hide is a certain location we always we, we find out from the you know our competitor side is that the, well the dog should be able to put their nose on the hide or the dog should be able to get to the hide or the dog should be able to alert on um you know where you know where, where you want them to alert mm -hmm. and sometimes it's just uh, a matter of you know what you're seeing and what your assumptions are and you know in terms of uh, that hide are very different when you start thinking of things in terms of odor movement. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. well, the dog and should it, be able to find that hide five feet in the air. I'm like, well, well it's, it's in the sun. Maybe not. So. Hey guys, Kayla here from Canine Conservationists dropping into this episode to tell you about something that I'm really excited to be adding to our Patreon. We have added two additional tiers to our Patreon, the Sensational Scientist and the Canine Conservationist. So you can still join our Patreon for just three bucks a month to submit questions for us to answer at the end of each episode. You can also still um, join at 10 bucks a month to submit questions that our experts will help answer. But now for $25 a month, you can join our Patreon and actually join a monthly live training session breakdown. So that means that once a month, we are going to have a video available of me training either Barley or Niffler in conservation dog work. 
And then we will have a live meeting on Zoom with adult beverages encouraged where we can go over my training process, what I was thinking about in this session, what I'm hoping to get out of it, and what I'm going to do next time. Even better, at the highest level of our Patreon, you can join as a canine conservationist for 50 bucks a month. I know it sounds like a lot, but what you actually get to do there is you get to submit videos of you working with your own dog for me to then help analyze and break down in a kind, supportive, and helpful way. And that will also be available as bonus content for our other patrons. So while it sounds like a lot for Patreon, basically what you're paying for at just 50 bucks a month is for myself and other really excellent trainers to assess your training and work at it in a really cool teamwork sort of way. Um, or for 25 bucks a month, you get access to all of that learning. So if you are serious about trying to get into the field of conservation detection dog stuff, I cannot recommend this enough. I'm really, really excited about this program. And especially if you're listening to this right now, it's still really new. So you are going to get a ton of one-on-one -on -one interaction because there's just not going to be many people there yet. So you can sign up for that over at patreon.com slash canine conservationists. We'll also be sure to link it over on canineconservationists.org. So um, you just have to remember the one link and we will make it really easy to find. I am super excited about this. Our first offering of this is going to be in July. So at the time that you hear this, you'll still have a little bit of time to sign up before our first live video analysis. All right, back to the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know I accidentally set a hide um, and I'd been planning on letting it cook for a couple of hours. And when I did I, and I came outside, the wind had shifted and I had it kind of up five or six feet on a telephone pole yep. and the wind had shifted to where it was blowing all of the odor through a chain link fence out of our Whoa. planned search area. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Just like, well, and, and we were able to work it and we, um, but it ended up being a much harder problem than I intended. Yes. And if I did not, I've been trying, I've been experimenting a little bit just cause it's been so cool for body language and everything, yep. working my two dogs on the same puzzles, um, oh, because I've got like the little six month old and yeah. then the, the veteran seven and a half year old and I'll start them in different places. Cause I'm not having the six month old work like five acre searches yet. Right. Right. Um, but that was one where I was like, okay, there's no way I'm even going to try running Niffler on that because it yeah. took barley way, way longer than I had anticipated. But, it, you know, it's just so cool. And if you're as a, as a novice handler, um, like it, the body language and the odor dynamics, I think are just often not taught enough as like a novice handler. I wish that I had had like months of that before anyone ever like let me touch a dog. Um, yeah. And I, I, I wouldn't have stuck with it. I wouldn't have wanted to do that back yeah. then. But yeah. Yeah. And um, I personally, I think it takes a certain human to really want to get into that, the, mm -hmm. the older stuff. And that's probably what pulls a lot of us into scent, scent type, you know, work and, and stuff like that, where the, it's like this, this other dimension. Right. And I, I, yeah. I picture like what this is doing and it's so exciting, but I think, you know, like for novice handlers, like, wow, you know, hey, and I start throwing up the ideal gas laws and they're like, the eyes start crossing. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I've been in seminars yeah. and I put up a, the, the, the PV equals NRT on the, on the screen. And they're like, what? Like, I don't know. They're like, I, just I thought we were here for dog training. <laughs> I just was here to train my dog. <laughs> yeah. I know this. And I just, yeah, I, uh, it, it, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Just break it down into hot air rises, cool air falls. And, and then there's a whole lot more. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a lot more. Yeah. A lot more we'll too. start there. It's kind of basic. 
it. So yeah, I feel uh, like when I get excited and I'm talking to friends about this, especially friends who aren't really into dog training, and I start yeah. talking about the the odor dynamics and and all yeah. of you know the dimensionality of it, I've had multiple friends kind of stop me mid sentence, be like, "Are you high? <laughs> like, what are you talking about?" Because I'm just like well, talking about these like other dimensions and how it moves. And- oh gosh! Oh my god! <laughs> Yeah, you know, my, my, um, actually, my, my best friend is a cat person. Okay. So uh-huh. she doesn't have a dog at all. And she has, she's had cats. And she's my absolute best friend in the, in the whole world for like the last mm-hmm. like 15, 12, 13 years, whatever. And uh, she has actually gotten pretty good at setting heights now because she's, she, because <laughs> I'm talking a lot about the odor. Yeah. Uh huh. And she can finally, she can actually set pretty good heights for me. And she has absolutely, she has mm-hmm. never handled a dog in any kind of, other than holding mm-hmm. a leash, I say, here, can you hold it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, actually. Uh, the, yeah. just the, the, the quantity of the, the domain of knowledge in this is just enormous. It's just enormous. Yeah, it's a little overwhelming <laughs> I mean, I at times. But, yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, it's definitely. It's, I really get into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but again, I mean, when I my very first nose work class I took back in 2017, I think uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I had wa- I took it because I wanted to be in an agility class and the wait list was too long. So <laughs> like, I think if I had been hit over the head with too much odor dynamic t- dynamics yeah. too early on, I probably would have just wandered out. Oh, but maybe not. Like, I don't know. I've, I don't I'm know. quite the lifelong learner. <laughs> Yeah, me too. And my, my poor students, like my uh, my second level class, I've got I've got mm-hmm. lectures of like scent theory, and uh, I, I worry I do chase them off. But <laughs> you know, hopefully they stick around. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, I mean it's it's the eternal challenge of any instructor. I think yes. like uh, you know even uh, again kind of agility is the other sport I've dabbled in, and yep. you know people want to come to class and they want to run a course, and what they probably really need is actually doing doing drills, and yes. you know it's it's an eternal challenge for any instructor, and you know I think I'm lucky in the field that I'm in that at least in theory you know we know that we're in this for a profession, so it. Right there's a little bit extra motivation to really, really get at all the different layers and levels of it versus on the sports side. I can, I, uh, I can see that being a little bit more challenging to get people interested in all of this. Yeah. I, you know, on the sports side, you know, some people kind of, you know, they just want to kind of dabble in it. They just want to kind of do bits and pieces and that's fine. That's totally fine. Um, but I could definitely see, you know, if it's the profession, I mean, you really, you really have to kind of understand it, you know, you really have to yeah. get into it. But yeah, I do think kind of getting back to the original question where you were asking <laughs> me, like, I know, I, 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 me, I'm like tangent, I'm like, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of go off on, on a tangent a lot. Um, you know, you know, thinking about, you know, the mistake that people make is that human precision where they're not thinking about really what the airflow does and and they set a hide and i think what happens is instead of saying you know what that odor is just not available as a human we get so invested right in the location of this hide and this is where this whole body language and independence comes into play right Mm -hmm. we start thinking like well i set the hide so i want the dog to find it right like i I really want Mm -hmm. you to find this hide and we start giving all this body language and finally the dog starts reading us instead of the odor and they and they start alerting because we want them to alert because as humans we want to be successful you mm-hmm. know um which then goes back to the original thing that we were talking about which is like searching without odor 
because we get so, or at least on the on the competitive side, we get so in, in, invested in in the the hide that we mm-hmm. forget that the task is actually just searching. So that's more that's probably more of a competitor competitor issue, but. Yeah, yeah, maybe or maybe not. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And you're, it's totally, I mean, we've all been there when you go and you search, set yeah. out a hide. And, you know, I, I know, especially as I was getting better at body language or before I was really comfortable with it, you know, trying to trying to figure out the difference between, you know, a clean miss and just moving past that yep. versus when my dog was actually struggling with sourcing and was working through that where I do want to kind of like stay put and support right. them, you know, without moving right. into their space and pressuring them in any way. But, yeah. um, and that distinction I think can be challenging until you spend a lot of time thinking about body language. Yeah. And I, I look for a dog that is actively searching because you're going to find that some mm-hmm. dogs are going to kind of travel through the area like they're just moving through the area. They're not really actively searching. And if they're kind of traveling through, they're kind of moving through, they're not really getting all the information around them. And, but if my dog is going through and they're actively searching, if they encounter odor, they're going to respond to it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then I have to kind of, I have to trust that. And if they go through, they're actively searching and they don't encounter it. Well, even if they come through, they come through like maybe another direction, they still don't encounter it. Well, you know what? Maybe it's a bum hide, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's just a little harder to find or, or maybe it's just not available. You know, it's, uh, yeah, this is, this is odor, right? It's not, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not as, uh, as clean it's cut as we'd like. Otherwise we probably would have figured out how to replace dogs in my line of work by now. Oh, right. Um, well, well, you know, they, they've, they've, you know, they've, they've tried to replace dogs and mm-hmm. they've, they've failed so far. And, um, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's complicated. It is. So, um, yeah, let's kind of pivot. This will be our last question here. Unless at, at the end, I'll ask you if you've got anything else that you wanted to add. Okay. Um, but what are some of your favorite exercises or even, and we can drop blogs in cause you've got so many great videos, um, from your website. So yep. anything that you mentioned, we can make sure to try to link to your site in the show notes, but exercises for building the dog's ability to source yep. and drive to odor. And, you know, if this is something that people feel like they need to work on with their dogs. Oh um, yeah. There, there's different, I like to look at, it from different sides of it right because we, mm-hmm. we talked uh, we talked about what is sourcing is really kind of the drive to source um there are a couple of different things i like to work on to try to build that sourcing capability uh now you know people do talk about pinpointing that there is a, a, a there is a need for that and i do do some of that but there's a lot of what i try to do that builds that pushing into odor. I do a lot of things with working with like blowing odor, for instance, or, you know, you could do that. Like uh, blowing odor could also be the wind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially like if you're t- thinking like a conservation dog where, you know, if you've got a dog and you're working a five acre field or a 15 acre field or 50 acre, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, you want that, uh, you want to be able to set the hide in such a way that you kind of understand that that odor is going to come to the dog so that they, they can get in that scent cone and drive into it. Um, there's doing that. There's also setting up things like thermal puzzles, right? Where you mm-hmm. might have, you know, the, the effects of the sun and the dog trying to work through that. I also try to work through what I call three dimensional type of searches where the dog mm-hmm. has to, you know, the odor is moving, but you may have barriers in place, right? And you want your dog to be able to navigate those barriers to try to drive into source. Uh, whether those barriers are over, under, through, around, right? It, it's mm, in mm-hmm. a little bit more dimension 
to uh, the odor puzzle. And I also find that it also increases the commitment on the dog's side. Uh, because, if, you know, if it's something that's very kind of easy for the dog to get to, dogs are kind of, they're like, hey, it's, it's here. Right? It's right there. Yeah. yeah, it's right here, right? Uh, but once you start to build on to some of the depth to some of that, you start to actually build a commitment to the odor. And I find that the dogs try to work a little harder when you start adding some three-dimensionality to it. So I do a lot mm -hmm. of that type of stuff. And then I layer in the pinpointing uh, because that, you know, that is actually a, another important piece of it. I just, that's just not the sole part of sourcing because people kind of focus in on that. They forget all the other stuff, which yeah. gets you to the hide, right? So, because you can pinpoint like crazy, but if the hide's not there, uh, guess what? Right? <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah you got to get to within a couple feet of it in order to be able to start pinpointing. Exactly, exactly. But people get so focused on the pinpointing, they're like, well, guys, you mm -hmm. got to get there to begin with. So, that's yeah, I love the idea of, yeah, like pushing through. And I know you've also, one of the other things I've noticed you're writing a lot about is like these deep accessible hides yes. as a way to really help the dog kind of source source and push into things. So if you want to talk about that a little bit. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, that I, relates love, here. I love deep accessible hides. And so let me tell you a little bit of a story. I was uh, flying out. Um, I think I was going to, I was going over to Europe anyway. And I was, uh, was going to go teach a seminar over there and I had a tablet. And I had upgraded myself to first class because I'm like, you know what? Mm -hmm. I need a good night's sleep. Uh, you know, I use miles or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I just use my miles and I upgraded myself. So anyway, yeah, I'm there and you're, you've got these really incredible chairs that you're sitting in. It's almost like a seat within a seat. It's kind of weird because uh, you can recline. You can do all that kind of good stuff. Well, I have mm -hmm. my tablet there and it slipped and it fell in between the seats and it wasn't mm -hmm. like a normal airline seat because you had to it, i could i could kind of see it and it was kind of out of reach and i was sticking my arm and i could i couldn't quite get to it like my fingertips were just a couple inches away from it and mm -hmm. i you know and then the, the, there's a whole purpose to this so I, i've got my my arm in there i'm stretching i'm stretching i'm stretching i couldn't get it this the uh the the airline attendant she's got her arm in there this is all pre-covid we were all kind of close together <laughs> got her arm uh -huh. in there trying to stretch to it finally we get to it and it, it kind of occurred to me because later in the seminar um i had set these deep accessible hides i'm like mm -hmm. that is the tablet in the airline seat Right, because, mm -hmm. right, because you're reaching and you're trying to get to it and it's just out of reach and it makes you work that much harder, right? Yeah. It's the uh -huh. same thing with the dogs, right? They're pushing in, they're pushing in and they're, oh, I can almost get to it. And it gives them that added layer of commitment to get to source. And then when you take that and you've done a lot of that type of work, they, they've got that it adds to their drive. It adds to their commitments so that when they, they encounter odor and maybe it's not as deep or maybe it's deeper and maybe it's completely inaccessible. They've built this desire to get to it because they think they can, or they think they can almost. And mm -hmm. that, that is actually, that builds that desire that builds that commitment. And I, and it becomes much easier to find the highs that they can't quite get to, you know, which yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely. absolutely love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been so much fun to kind of been be playing around with um, yeah. lately. Yeah, that's I've, that's I've, my I'm, airline story, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't always fly first class. I don't want it to sound like I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just kind of upgraded myself with the miles. But 
Uh, but yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's that's sourcing. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all been there where you're trying to reach something and like your fingertips can touch it, but you can't quite get your thumb around yeah, it. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, and just like, right? Yeah, yeah, and and how motivating that is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, trying to and thinking through, you know, how to set that up for the skill level that your dog is at is kind of where this starts getting challenging. I would say, yeah. and making sure that you're doing it in a way that you know, because deep accessible for a really experienced dog and deep accessible for a novice dog are going to yeah. actually look a little bit different. Which also goes um, back to the body pressure, right? Some mm-hmm. dogs are going to be much more comfortable with body pressure. So I'll give you an example. Um, although in competition, our dogs are not allowed to go under vehicles uh, for, mm. you know, cause they're worried that they're going to get hung up. Well, um, I was working my puppy off leash and well, the, you know, there was a hide on the front of a vehicle and the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And, um, but it was a great sourcing puzzle. She, she popped out the front and well, here it is, you know, um, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, but I think, I think, you know, pressure, body pressure kind of comes into it. The dog's natural ability to respond to body pressure. Um, the other thing that, that I think, um, and I want to mention this is I think sometimes we often underestimate our dogs and I think we need to push our dogs a little bit every so often. I think it's important to take, especially if they have the drive, as long as they have the drive and they're not getting frustrated and they're not losing confidence it's important to push them a little bit on those harder hides occasionally. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, give, I'll give my puppy something kind of hard and then the next day I'll give her something a little bit easier and then I'll give her something hard a little bit easier. Yeah. But I think that's a lot of times the dogs will surprise us in, in what they, what they can do if we just let them and we let them work it out and we don't try to pressure them to solve it within a certain amount of time as long. And I just kind of keep my finger on the pulse of their motivation uh, because mm-hmm. if you start to see the motivation start to dip, and the frustration increased, that means the confidence is decreasing. You need to cut, you need to yeah. cut, the, cut, cut it out. You need to stop the search, you know, with it, with yeah. a younger dog. But yeah. And I know, I mean, one of the things that when I was speaking to my breeder before bringing Niffler home and kind of, as I was choosing the puppy from the litter, I was really adamant about wanting a puppy who was really, you know, optimistic and enjoyed kind of rising to a challenge. And I've really seen with both of my dogs, I was just lucky with Barley. I picked him out at a shelter before I was in this field. Um, He's just, he's just superb. He's such a one of a kind dog. And Niffler is turning into something, a one of a kind dog in a different way. Um, And one of the things I've really noticed with Niffler is because we did a good job of selecting the right puppy for me. When I make things harder, he seems to get more excited. Um, He really enjoys that challenge. And and like, I'll really notice like the next time I take him out, even if I am kind of stepping it down in difficulty, like a surge in enthusiasm from him because he's like, oh, Oh my gosh, we're going to go do the thing where we work our brains and, yeah. and it's hard and it's good. And like, you get to chew on that problem yep. for a while. I actually, um, when I was looking at puppies, um, cause it, this prize came from a really fantastic litter. A lot of the dogs are, uh, working toward, you know, they're, they're working in a, they're preparing for a working capacity. Yeah. And when I was looking at her and I was evaluating the puppies, I was looking for a puppy that could problem solve. Uh, and I could actually see they had like, um, 
his pallet piles and all kinds of uh, like uh, little mini rubble piles that they could put the puppies yeah. on. Everything. Oh my gosh. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's actually really cool. They have, they, she actually has like a, a huge, like thousands of pallets. I don't know. It's like, like, like her own rubble pile. It's amazing. Oh my God. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, but I could, I was watching and evaluating the puppies to see, you know, as they're watching the, um, their, the, like the, either the, the kennel person or, or the, um, the breeder or whatever, uh, as they're moving over this rubble pile, how the puppies responded in terms of their physical, um, environment. Like, could they problem solve moving around the, the obstacles to follow? And, uh, and I saw prize and she really kind of understood how to enlarge her area naturally to start mm -hmm. to follow uh, her person. And I'm like, that's a problem solver. And that's really one of the reasons why I picked her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> that's like his, his, uh, his breeder was did a lot of puppy culture and like barrier uh, challenges. And he was the one, he wasn't the fastest always yeah. at the barrier challenge, but he was the one who was, he was really persistent and creative with it. Yes. Um, where again, he wasn't, he didn't always pick the the straightest line or the best yeah. line, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, cause he's, he was five weeks old and oh, know, yeah, yeah. a yeah. tenth and, of a brain. Know, and sometimes but, that's actually a really big challenge of sourcing In order for a dog to really source, right. The dog actually has to move away from the strongest concentration of odor. In a lot of, yeah, like, exactly. Right. And that, that is actually creative problem solving. Because they start mm -hmm. to realize I'm in this high concentration of odor and source isn't here. So what do I have to do? I have to enlarge the area. I have to actually move away from the highest concentration of odor in order to increase the likelihood of finding the true source of odor. And that that's some amazing problem solving. And that's mm -hmm. really um, an advanced level of problem solving. Um, and if you can start to see that, that degree of problem solving in your puppies, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, cool. it was it was yeah. very cool to get to see. Yeah. So, um, as we're wrapping up here, do you have anything that you wanted to kind of mention about sourcing or upcoming webinars or any of those sorts of things? Um, before, oh, so yeah. people can uh, hey, kind of fill this out. Find a shameless plug. Um, Absolutely. Or, that's great. I mean, I I do uh, I do educational webinars. They're not always. I mean, a lot of them are focused on competition, but not all of them are. Mm -hmm. I try to. There's some stuff that that that's pretty pretty generally. Um, uh, applicable. Um, I do them, um, right now I'm on a short hiatus just, uh, for a couple of reasons. I, I came back from Florida and I'm just kind of still settling in, but I'll probably be starting it up next mm -hmm. week. again. I do usually like weekly webinars. Um, and you can find them on my website. It's www.senseabilities. That's S C E N T S abilities and W.com. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and I always have them listed there, but, uh, but yeah, it, yeah. It, they're, they're inexpensive. You, you, you keep the, the recording for like for forever, or at least until I stop mm -hmm. doing webinars, which hopefully is not in the near future. So, yeah. uh, yeah. you, you know, you could always listen to the recording, but yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I would, I would love to have more people. More yeah, yeah, we'll definitely drop that link into the show notes. And awesome. I think this is going to go live three weeks from now. So there'll be a couple that'll have been lined between live between now and then. Um, yeah, do you have anything else you wanted to add about sourcing before we go? Uh, no, I, th I think we're pretty good. Um, yeah, probably come up with ideas later on. No, oh, sure. Yeah. Well, we can always do a part two. And oh, there we go. There you we know, go. We can, I mean, it would be cool to do like a, another one about, you know, what is the name for the, the searching before the sourcing? Um, oh, 
uh, seeking. I don't know. Seeking. Yeah. Yeah. Like we could do, we could do an episode on searching. seeking. We could do an episode before the searching is the searching. Ah, searching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The searching, seeking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the sourcing and then like the pinpointing alerting. Um, yeah. you know, we could, we yeah. can always come back and do more about those. So, exactly. um, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be thrilled to do that. And I'm sure our listeners would be as well. Um, so for our listeners, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you learned a lot and are feeling inspired to get outside and be a canine conservationist in whatever way suits your passions and skill set. You can find show notes and extra information on this episode, including links to everything that we've mentioned at canineconservationists.org. Um, and you can support our field vehicle repairs at our GoFundMe page. Until next time. <laughs>